Welcome back, everybody. I'm Rick Pettigrew with our latest weekly batch of top news stories that appeared on Archaeologica. Send us feedback on the Archaeology Channel Facebook page or post a message on our social networking site, Archaeoseek. An excavation in Newfoundland at Canada's oldest English colony has uncovered Canada's oldest English coin. A comprehensive multidisciplinary study supports the controversial grouping of Asian language families, including Korean and Japanese. A small room uncovered near Pompeii appears to document the living conditions of Roman slaves. And an ornate wooden bird thought to be a common antique now turns out to be an object once possessed by the most famous of Henry VIII's wives, Anne Boleyn. The Audio News team would like to thank our friends for helping us continue this show without a break since we started more than 20 years ago. If you're not already a supporting member, please go to archaeologychannel.org and click on the Donate button. Especially now, we can use all the help we can get. Thanks to you also for supporting our subscription platform, Heritage Broadcasting Service, available at heritagetac.org. We now have 167 titles you can binge upon with your smart TVs on Roku, including our own series, Straight Up Portraits of Humanity. Again, that link is heritagetac.org. Please help us spread the word. And now, here's Laura Pettigrew with the audio news from Archaeologica. We hope you find this to be a valuable part of your day. Welcome to the audio news from Archaeologica. I'm Laura Pettigrew, and these are the headlines in archaeological and historical news for the week of November 7th through the 13th, 2021. Our first story of the week brings us to eastern Newfoundland, where scientists believe they have uncovered the oldest English coin ever discovered in Canada. As reported by the Toronto Star, the coin turned up sometime in September of this year, under 20 centimeters of soil near the northeast corner of the Cupid's Cove Plantation Provincial Historic Excavation Site. Settled in 1610, the Cupid's Cove Plantation area was the oldest English settlement in Canada and included a sawmill and brewery. According to William Gilbert, lead archaeologist and supervisor at the site, the team's research shows the coin to be from somewhere between 1493 and 1499. The coin is a nickel-sized two-penny piece, also known as a Henry VII half-groat. They are called so because they feature a stylized portrait of King Henry VII alongside a Latin inscription stating, Henry, by the grace of God, King of England and France. The opposite side features a cross and the king's motto, I have made God my helper. Such coins were minted in Canterbury, England, over 500 years ago. The find is an exciting contribution to research around Canada's early British colonial history, and the site may yet produce more artifacts of this nature in the future. Our next story of the week brings us to Northeast Asia, where new interdisciplinary research offers evidence that 98 languages of the controversial Trans-Eurasian language family may be linked to a single original language, dating back millennia, which spread through the movement of farmers and farming practices. The proposed Trans-Eurasian family, also called the Altaic family after the Altai Mountains of Mongolia, is said to include Japanese, Korean, Tunguskic, Mongolic, and Turkic, all of which are widely regarded by historical linguists as isolated and unrelated language families. 
These languages extend from Japan all the way to southeastern Europe. As reported by ScienceDaily.com, researchers from Asia, Europe, New Zealand, Russia, and the United States have provided evidence for what they call the farming hypothesis of Trans-Eurasian language dispersal. Their work traces the spread of Trans-Eurasian languages to the first farmers moving across the region, beginning in the early Neolithic period, roughly 9,000 years ago. The cross-disciplinary study collated findings from linguistic, archaeological, and genetic sources to determine that the origins of the Trans-Eurasian languages are rooted in a group of people who cultivated millet and belonged to what is called the Early Amur Gene Pool, named after the Amur River that today forms the border between China and Russia. This provisionally took place in what is now northeastern China, in the region of the West Liao River in Liaoning Province, which borders North Korea. According to this hypothesis, during the late Neolithic period, between approximately 7,000 and 5,000 BC, these millet farmers with Amur-related genes spread into contiguous regions across Northeast Asia. Then, in the following millennia, speakers of a proto-Trans-Eurasian language mixed with peoples along the Yellow River, farther west in Eurasia, and eastward, with the Jamon peoples in what is now Japan. This contact led to the addition of rice agriculture, western Eurasian crops, and pastoralism to their lifeways. According to Martin Robitz, lead author of the study and leader of the Archaeolinguistic Research Group at the Max Planck Institute for the Science of Human History, the findings required tremendous cross-disciplinary cooperation, with each discipline's contribution producing a more comprehensive view of the findings than any one discipline alone would have allowed. Robitz is also the leading proponent of the Trans-Eurasian Language Hypothesis. The linguistic research analyzed a new data set of more than 3,000 sets of cognates, or common words, representing over 250 concepts spanning the nearly 100 Trans-Eurasian languages. From this, researchers constructed a tree showing the roots of the proto-Trans-Eurasian family reaching back over 9,000 years. A small core of inherited words related to land cultivation and millet agriculture, along with other words indicating a sedentary lifestyle, gave evidence to support the farming hypothesis. We should point out that other specialists argue that these common words are likely to have resulted from borrowing in ages past. Archaeological evidence further supported the hypothesis. Analysis of an archaeological database of 255 Neolithic and Bronze Age sites, including 269 directly carbon-dated cereals, showed a cluster of related Neolithic cultures in the same region, from which two branches of millet farming cultures branched off in the regions of modern-day Korea, China, and Russia. Genetic analysis focused on the first collection of ancient genomes from Korea, the Ryukyu Islands, south of the Japanese main islands, and early cereal farmers in Japan. Combining their results with previously published genomes from East Asia, the team identified a common genetic component called Amur-like ancestry among all speakers of Trans-Eurasian languages. They also confirmed that during the Bronze Age Yayoi period in Japan, the introduction of farming corresponded with a massive migration from the mainland continent at the same time. 
Taken together, the study's results are proposed to show that commonalities across languages in Asia are not just from borrowing by cultures that interacted over time. Rather, this study supports the idea that the Trans-Eurasian languages share a common ancestry, and the early spread of Trans-Eurasian speakers was driven by agriculture. Such groundbreaking findings open up a world of possibilities for further study of the common ancestral connections between peoples across Eurasia. It's likely, however, that other experts on the subject will come back with counter-proposals to account for the results of this study. Our third story this week brings us to Pompeii, where archaeologists have uncovered the remains of a room that appears to have housed a family of slaves who served a Roman villa. The room and villa were damaged and covered by the Mount Vesuvius eruption nearly 2,000 years ago. As reported by Fizz.org, an archaeological excavation at the villa of Civita Giuliana, a suburban villa on the edge of the ancient city, discovered a small room containing three beds, a ceramic pot, and a wooden chest. The wooden chest held metal and fabric objects that seemed to be part of harnesses for chariot horses, and a chariot shaft was found resting on one of the beds. Researchers reported that an ornate and almost intact Roman chariot also was discovered at this same site at the start of this year. It is likely that the room housed slaves responsible for maintaining and preparing the chariot. The room itself covered approximately 16 square meters, or 170 square feet. It is described as a cross between a bedroom and a storeroom. The beds within the room were made of several roughly worked wooden planks, and one was smaller than the others, suggesting it may have been for a child. Researchers believe the room may have housed a slave family. In addition to the beds, the room held eight amphorae, a type of Roman jar used for storing food and goods. The villa of Civita Giuliana was the target of looting for some years, and disturbances suggest some of the archaeological heritage in this so-called slave room was likely lost to looters. Still, the findings are a window into a population of people rarely documented in historical sources. Because most records were written by elite men, records about the daily lives of slaves in ancient Rome are almost non-existent. Our final story of the week brings us to Hampton Court in England, where a wooden bird, originally thought to be a common antique, has turned out to be a former possession of the second queen of King Henry VIII, Anne Boleyn. As reported by The Guardian, the ornate falcon was obtained originally by Paul Fitzsimmons, a Devon antiques dealer, at auction for a mere 75 pounds. Close inspection suggested, however, that the object was a royal relic, so Fitzsimmons took it to the experts at Hampton Court. They positively identified the carving of a falcon as a rendition of Anne Boleyn's heraldic emblem, the 16th century royal falcon. Carvings of the falcon most likely adorned her private apartments at Hampton Court Palace. They would have been removed after Henry VIII ordered the queen's execution and commanded the dismantling of any traces of her in the palaces. Given this historic connection, the artifact's value is now assessed at about 200,000 pounds. According to Tracy Borman, a leading Tudor historian and joint chief curator for historic royal palaces, the charity that manages Hampton Court, 
While Anne Boleyn is probably the best known of King Henry VIII's wives, we have the least surviving evidence of her because of this erasure of her history at the king's command. Experts at Hampton Court believe the falcon was most likely salvaged and kept by one of Anne's supporters around the time of her execution. The carved wooden falcon is about 20 centimeters in size and is in remarkable condition given its age. It was created in the early 1530s and still bears its original gilding and colors. It also bears traces of soot, suggesting it may have adorned a fireplace in Anne Boleyn's private quarters at Hampton Court. The falcon may be part of a decorative scheme hatched by Anne and the king before Anne ascended to become queen, using the royal symbolism of the falcon to elevate her dignity. The affair with Anne was the catalyst for England's split from the Catholic Church, which refused to let Henry divorce his first wife, Catherine of Aragon. The schism that followed led to the English Reformation and the founding of the Church of England. Anne Boleyn was accused of adultery and executed when she did not produce a male heir for the king. Ironically, her single surviving child, a girl, grew up to become Elizabeth I, England's great Renaissance queen. The falcon is to be placed on long-term loan to Hampton Court by Fitzsimmons, who wants it to go back to the palace it once adorned. That wraps up the news for this week. For more stories and daily news updates, visit Archaeologica on the World Wide Web at archaeologica.org, where all the news is history. I'm Laura Pettigrew, and I'll see you next week. This has been the audio news from Archaeologica, presented by the Archaeology Channel. Be sure to check back with us next week for our next edition. You can spread the word about the audio news by clicking on the Share This link on our audio news webpage, or just by telling your friends. Thanks very much for stopping by. Music